sights to show you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 57 of the Sirens of Scream. We're at the horror podcast that proves dead is better. I'm Melissa Megan, and I'm joined tonight by my spooky sisters in Creep, Jackie DeVore and Sierra Houck. Hello. Hello. Oh, hi, Sierra. I thought we lost you for a second. Sorry, oh, I was Sierra on mute. Gone. And then I clicked. There's a there's a difference between mute and then there's a rename button right next to it on the thing that I'm looking at. Uh-oh. And so it's like, change your name. No, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> How are you doing, ladies? Very good. I got a I'm doing good. Got a modern witch hat on today. Feeling it. Ooh. What does that mean? Uh, I'll send you a picture. It's like it's like a witch hat that you can wear and still look like you belong in society, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> like coven kind pretty of. Pretty rad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Nice. Like, a, like a pointy winter hat. Yeah, pretty much. It's got a, <laughs> with a brim, though. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So we also have joining us this evening, my other half, Ryan Megan. That's me. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> Stay in front of your microphone, Ryan. I'm I'm here. <laughs> you should have just brought like a water gun and like squirt him every time he starts to move. I know, right? A little um, buzzer. Didn't... I need like a really long pointer so I can just like reach across the room and poke him. <laughs> squirt if you bat. guys haven't s- <laughs> If you haven't seen it yet, to our listeners, take a peek at our social pages for some amazing new artwork that we're sporting right now. It is created oh, by time. the super talented Caitlin Yarsky. You can also find her work on the ongoing comic series Coyotes. I don't remember if we mentioned that on the podcast previously, but I thought that it was important to tell everybody to look at our new artwork because we're awesome. You recommended Coyotes before, mm-hmm. and then just all of a sudden, we had amazing artwork by this artist <laughs> from Coyotes, and I felt so special. And Melissa sent us these incredible prints of that picture that she made for us signed by Caitlin from her time at NY Comic Con, which I am so happy mm-hmm. about. That is definitely getting framed. Thank you, Melissa. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't tell, I don't think I told you guys last time we recorded that I like Caitlin and I were on this like thing to try to meet up the entire weekend, and it was difficult because she didn't have a booth, so we had to like constantly be in touch and I I caught her like on her way out of New York in the morning. Mm. I had to like like catch her at like eleven o'clock in the morning at the front door of the con (laughs) and try to find like an empty table and like clean it off so we could put everything down. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Yeah, it was a crazy thing, but I thought we should all have those on our wall so we can look at them and enjoy them and show them to our friends. They're absolutely gorgeous. So by the time you guys listen to this, you'll be celebrating Hallow's Eve. Not that we don't celebrate that all year round, because you know we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure that by then, most of you will have gone out to see the latest film in the long-running and iconic Halloween franchise. If you ask anyone who they think of when they think slasher horror movies, most will answer either Michael Myers of Halloween or Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th. These films hold very special places in many childhood horror memories, my own included, but Halloween lays claim to a very unique history. Halloween was always a favorite of my dad's, who was the family member I shared horror with when I was young, and one of the creepiest Halloween party experiences I've ever had was at a bar where, among all the laughter and fun costumes and music, someone walked in very silently and slow-moving, dressed as Michael Myers, and stayed alone the entire night, stood at various places around the room 
room and corners, just watching people. I never saw him remove the mask or speak to anyone. He was just standing in a different corner of the room at different points throughout the night, which made various people in the room feel uneasy enough that I heard people commenting on it (laughs) all night. So I don't see my dad as much these days, but I do share a passion for horror with Ryan, my husband. And so that's why we've invited him on the show tonight to share with us because he has a particular excitement for the Halloween franchise. But before we jump into that and we let Ryan tell us all about Halloween, we're going to share some recommendations, which not surprisingly, I think, are pretty much the same for Jackie, Sierra, and I, maybe even Ryan tonight, because we've all (laughs) been watching the same things. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Before we jump into the recommendations, I actually have a couple things I want to throw out there, if you ladies wouldn't mind. Yes. Please do. So there's actually a horror subreddit. I'm sure you guys are aware of. And there was a very big horror fan on there asking for a little consideration from the horror fans on that subreddit. Apparently his daughter's having her sweet 16 birthday this weekend. And she specifically was throwing a Halloween series birthday mm-hmm. party like Michael Myers and everything. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this girl, like, it's kind of an incredible story. I'm going to link you guys to the story. I don't I don't want to share all of her personal details here on the show. But I did want to say happy sweet 16th birthday to Eris. And I hope that she has an incredible Michael Myers birthday. Heck yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There's also a P.O. box that we can send birthday cards to if you guys want to. That's awesome. I mean, I always think of Halloween as like something that kids that young aren't really into Maybe into again because there's a new movie, but like it's, you know, it's it's such an old franchise now. Right. Apparently Mm -hmm. her father actually does some really incredible prop work design. Mm -hmm. And from what I've seen of his resume, I think he actually did some of the doll work for The Conjuring and Annabelle. So I I get the feeling that she is going to be kind of like Max in like 10 years. Like I assume that Max (laughs) is going to be like, have a real strong appreciation for old school horror. And like, (laughs) he's growing Mm -hmm. up with, you know, the right people to really appreciate some horror there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like right now, having grown up a little bit later, seems like it's Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare Mountain Street are all kind of lumped together as like like one thing in the psyche and so i'm sure that she knows the ins and out of all of them yeah another thing i wanted to ask is if you guys happen to see that video of the slasher villains singing to the tune of backstreet boys i want it that way but it's i'll kill you that way no i s- <laughs> i sent it to you guys yesterday but it's been in my head for two days and it's amazing <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, I I haven't watched it yet. I posted it on our Twitter, but anybody who's listening to this that hasn't seen it, you're going to have to look it up because it's shockingly good quality and (laughs) hilarious. Like high quality editing work? It's high quality editing, uh, costumes, concept, music, like the whole thing. I don't know who the hell put this together, but they did an amazing job and I'm really impressed by it. Released at such a great time, too. I know, right? (laughs) but those are my things well jackie i was gonna say why don't you go ahead and lead us in recommendations since you beat us to making your recommendation list and everything on your list is what i was going to talk about so (laughs) okay well (laughs) 
the first one is the big one that I think everybody is talking about right now. And I know you guys have at least had a chance to start it. Mm-hmm. I actually finished it a couple days ago. Drew and I kind of just fucking marathoned right through because it, it was that good. And that's The Haunting of Hill House. And we did mention on our news show that it has been raved about and like it hit 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, like Stephen King is all about it. Like it's been getting praise right left. And if you've watched the show at all, it's it's really no surprise why. Personally, I'm a big fan of it. At the, at the very start of it, it didn't really draw me in that hard at the beginning of it. It was kind of a little bit slow and... Some of the mm-hmm. background effects seemed a little bit cheesy to me, but it seemed like every time I even started to lose interest, something really fucking cool would happen. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, bring me right into that. But I'm really interested to hear what you guys think of it so far. This came up on Talking Comics on the last episode, too. So we ended up talking about it on there as well. So now I'm like sitting here thinking, well, I don't know what I said on this show, and what I haven't said on the show yet. But... I had another friend who commented that she thought it was slow going. She only watched one episode and she thought, oh, it was too slow. But I ended up appreciating that about it because I think that Mm -hmm. the point of it was to create some solid attachments, emotional attachments to this Mm -hmm. family, which they really did. And I think that, you know, they want you to focus on the trauma that is happening within the family between them and and emotionally apart from Actual separate haunting. from the trauma of the haunting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like there's, there, to... there's two parallel traumas happening in here together. Right. They had to give all of the characters enough time to have their own personalities too and for you right. to like tell them apart and everything. Yeah. And I think it worked because by like the second or third, you know, episode, I thought, okay, I like that this is moving slow because I really feel like I'm getting to know these people and it's not just like, here's a spooky thing. Here's a spooky thing. There's a spooky thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of like Lost, right? They're where they're kind of doing an episode dedicated to a, one of the characters as a central arc that and that how they feed into the broader arc like Mm -hmm. episode and i i was like jackie at first i was like yeah you know this is the production values are good and you know it's competently done but i wasn't like grabbed by it but like i don't know it was like by the end of the second episode i was drawn in and not kind of a non sequitur to the quality of the show but you know i'm like melissa and i'm a skeptic and i don't believe in ghosts or anything like that but every time we watch the show like creepy shit happens in our house yeah (laughs) oh my god guys i've been waiting on bated breath for something spooky to happen and i'm nothing spooky has happened yet i'm the only one and i want it so bad no we we've got to talk about that because this this hasn't actually this hasn't just happened between us but it has definitely happened between us we've we've been talking about this as each watching this and sierra i'm surprised it hasn't happened to you yet like I really I wanted to I want to hear what happens to you okay so I'm gonna start with mine and (laughs) Melissa I want you to tell yours okay so Melissa actually mentioned it first because she started watching the show first but then the following day Drew and I had started watching it we have this new bunny in our house and she is the most pleasant and happiest most cheerful animal ever I've even met Bunnies will do this thing when they're mad. They'll they'll thump their feet and they get like really intense and like mm-hmm. will stare in a spot if they're if they're angry or something to warn you of danger. And this bunny has never she's never really thumped before. She's just a happy go lucky kind of thing that bounces off the walls. So we started the episode and she 
started thumping and trembling and staring like so hardcore in like very specific spots around the room. One of them was like right behind my head, which was Jesus. very That's unnerving. Cool. <laughs> and she was like, this little thing was scared out of her mind and we could not figure out what it was. Like we turned off the show. We like looked for anything that she could possibly be reacting to. And there was nothing in the room that she would possibly be reacting to. And it was like, we tried to figure out if it was like the noise from the actual show and that didn't seem to be it. And it was, I don't know. It was weird. Like we, I don't know. You guys just dealt with like the freaking hurricane. Yeah. And she was super chill through that. She was totally fine through that. But then this show freaked her out. (laughs) Yeah. But this, I mean, like we were not even 30 seconds into the show and she flipped her shit about it. It was so weird. We had two different situations or occurrences, I guess you could say, happen like I think it was the first night that we started watching it. We have like a theater room with projector and we were watching it in there. And my little office where I record is kind of off to the side behind a curtain from the rest of the room. All the lights were turned off and we I think we were just a few minutes into the episode when the light in my office turned on randomly by itself. Let me go into a little more detail about why that's extra creepy that Melissa might not know is that like all the lights in the theater room and in her office are like uh, smart lights, like Philips Hughes. Yeah. And they're connected through like our, the Harmony and the Alexa. And so they're, they're operated on voice command, right? <laughs> but they're all, they're, they're all connected together. No. So to have, Ooh, that's to have weird. Just one of them do anything <laughs> would require a very special set of commands and voice commands to the point that it's a pain in the ass that I, I wouldn't want to do it. So the fact that just one of them, <laughs> that really just got to me i was like yeah. what, the, what the fuck and, and then we enjoyed the show yeah and then two nights ago we started we haven't finished the show yet so don't spoil it guys but like a couple nights ago we were watching another episode upstairs in a totally different room and my phone was plugged in to the wall sitting face down next to me on the chair and all of a sudden we both sitting there we're like there's a, a bright light shining next to us. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I looked down and realized the flashlight came on on my phone and it was just laying, it was laying face down. So nothing was touching it. And I oh picked God. it up and turned the flashlight off. And then I'm staring at my phone. I'm like, why is my screen black? I couldn't see anything on it. It was like, there's something wrong with my phone all of a sudden. And it, the, the brightness on my phone was turned all the way down. So mm-hmm. like, I couldn't see anything. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what happened. It was just sitting there plugged in. And like Ryan said, we're not we're not believers in ghosts, although I say that. And then we've talked about this before, like, you know, supernatural ghost movies are the ones that scare me the most. Every time I watch the show, I have to like I have to play a game for about a half an hour before I go to bed just to like wash my brain. I love mm-hmm. it. So I can go to sleep. <laughs> it could be gremlins. <laughs> it could, be gremlins. It could, could always be. be gremlins. I mean, that would be fun. <laughs> Max would be thrilled if we had gremlins in our house. <laughs> So a couple things I want to mention about the characters before we move on from this. I just want to tell you, when Max says gremlins, he says gremlins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like gremlins? I don't know why he no. says it like that, but every time he says it, I just thought of this the other day why I think it's so funny. Every time he says it, I think of like little like gremlin grandmas. <laughs> makes me think of like little grandmas, gremlins. <laughs> Love it. So just put that in your head. Little tiny demonic little grandmas. Grandma gremlins. <laughs> I really do love what they're doing with the character building or what they've done with the character building in this. And as Ryan mentioned, the character driven episodes, the the format that that's taken really does build on the trauma that they've 
created between each other aside from the actual mm-hmm. haunting, which is just like it's how people talk about how Game of Thrones is like a person story as well as a fantasy story, mm-hmm. which is debatable. This <laughs> this is kind of that level in that it's I don't know, a story between people aside from a supernatural story. Damn, if there aren't some heartbreaking stories in there, like all of those characters yeah. are so fucking tragic. And I know there's one particular one that we will probably want to talk about, but I don't think Sierra's that far along. So I don't want to mention it yet. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything either, but I'll just say we just, the last episode we watched was the one where they tell Nell's story a little more in depth. Mm -hmm. The ending of that episode was so brutal. Like, I I remember just ending and Ryan and I just looking at each other like, oh shit. Yeah, what you was like what? What just happened? <laughs> if you react to heavy things with tears, you're gonna want to bring some tissues because you're not prepared for that field trip. Like it's, ow, <laughs> that's like that's yeah. painful. On that one, I've heard of like my grown men friends out here sobbing, like actually straight up sobbing over here over that story, which I totally understand jackie did you look at the link that i sent you about all the ghost kind of easter eggs the ghosts hidden in the background i've been noticing a lot no i didn't i don't think i saw that i sent you the because after we talked about on talking comics my co-host steve that you guys met he shared it with me mm-hmm. it blew my mind because i feel like i've been looking for them everywhere because in these kind of shows you always expect to see things hiding in the background right and i haven't seen them he pulls them out when she sees them ghost yeah, yeah. but now i now that i've read the article i'm like Oh God, now I see them everywhere. Like, look, it's back there. There's one over there. There's a face. We were noticing there's a whole lot of, a whole, whole lot going on in the background. Like, this is definitely the kind of show with a hell of a lot of rewatch value. When you see picture, when you go, I'll send you the link again, but when you go through this link, like, it kind of blows your mind how obvious some of them should be and and that your brain missed it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, some of them are like full-bodied people standing in yeah. backgrounds or like like, looming. Uh, like looking around the doorway at people and you're like mm-hmm. how did i not see that <laughs> also there's a point where they talk about how not to give too much away but the dad is like oh you've been seeing ghosts all this time and he says like this guy c- wouldn't have been there and then so you your brain is like oh but who else couldn't have been there right and you start kind of noticing because of that too yeah like they they work it into the story too so that as you're watching you notice it more and more and it feels like it ramps up yeah one thing that really struck me and drew actually pointed this out when we were watching it, is shirley the undertaker mm-hmm. when she re- refers to prepping a corpse for a funeral she always refers to it as fixing them Mm -hmm. which i feel says so much about her character i don't like her character at all but that one aspect of her need to fix people and it explains a lot it really well i think the connection is made too when they show her going to her mother's yeah funeral and that's what Mm -hmm. the funeral director says to her when he speaks to her there right like he uses that that actually those words he says you know i fixed her mm-hmm. and like as some kind of like a comfort thing and so i i thought that that terminology was strange too until i saw her hear it from someone else and kind of like oh that's like that's what clicked for her and what made her feel like like what was happening in this place was a good thing you know where usually we think of funeral homes as a scary terrifying place that you don't want to be and she kind of like she's obviously a very logical science driven person she's very you know straightforward she's she's got she's the one person who's very kind of like says everything exactly as as it is you know she's very on the table and i felt like that was where she made that connection to go into that 
because she thought, oh, this is how we fix people. Like, this is how we make things make sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I think that's also a grasp of the the science minded person trying to like trying to make sense of a haunting and, mm-hmm. and make it seem logical. Yeah. Yeah. There is totally a light bulb goes off right. kind of moment. That show is deep. <laughs> it is indeed. Mm hmm. I love the show, but I have I have one gripe, and Melissa knows my gripe. What's that? I do, and that's I think the character of the junkie brother. Oh, jeez, mm-hmm. it was miscast. He hates the junkie. I, I love the kid. I love that. Mm-hmm. Kid. Yeah, but the the adult he looks too healthy. He does look really he healthy. Looks, he looks like a healthy guy that has junkie makeup on, mm-hmm. and like I just feel like you can't have gaunt eyes and be like well fed. <laughs> Like, you don't just lose weight around your eye sockets, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like they should have gotten somebody that's naturally a little gone. Not to be, like, you know, prejudiced against people that look healthy, but, like, I think that they should have gone, like, a little bit more sickly looking for the... Mm-hmm. I kind of reason I almost noticed that- the opposite. I thought every time they showed, every time he was supposed to be high, he looked like a zombie. Like, he had, like, gray flaking lips and, like, his eye, like, this really dark gray makeup all over his face. Like, Jesus, like, from yesterday to today... He just like became a totally different. He suddenly looks like a dead person because he got high. You well, know, it's like it's like they did that. I feel almost like they're overcompensating yeah. for the fact that he doesn't look like a junkie. So they put that stuff on extra thick. So it just it made it almost comical whenever I would see him. I'm like, oh, God, he's like dripping sweat and shaking like, OK, yeah. but I don't know. No, I agree with you. I kept thinking your neck is too thick. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. For some reason, that's the one character whose name I can't remember when I'm watching it. Luke. And I wonder if that's like yeah, part of the disconnect. Yeah. yeah. I always remember I his name when I see him, him as Jake. a kid, but not as an adult. Mm-hmm. That kid is adorable. Yeah, yeah. I love that kid. That kid's really cute Although with the big really eyes. It's really hard not to think of him like Max because he's so much like Max. Mm-hmm. But it's like seeing... sitting by himself and talking to himself and coloring weird pictures all the time. Every time I see him, I'm <laughs> like, oh my God, he's so too much like Max. It scares me. But every time they showed what the kid went through, I was like, no wonder he turned out the way he did. That yeah. Poor child. Mm-hmm. Poor kid. Damn. All right. You guys want to talk about Christine McConnell? I pulled this up. I pulled Christine McConnell up again today and I was going to try to watch one while Max was up because I thought he might find this really cute. And yeah. I pulled it up and like Netflix said, you know, episode one, season one. And I was like, wait a minute. Why isn't it starting me from where I was? And then I figured out that I finished them all. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I watched all the episodes and I didn't even realize <laughs> oh, no. it. Yeah, there's only six. The beginning of this show, The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell, when we talked about this coming out, we did mention that there are Muppets. So the Jim Henson Company actually made the puppets for this show, and they are kind of cheesy. And they are pretty over the top. And I honestly, I was a little afraid that I would hate the show because of that. And I was trying to keep an open mind going in. And the first episode, like, it took me a bit to get into it because, like, I'm not I'm not a fan of puppets, like, just in general. But I powered through it and her creations are so fucking cool. Like, I, I just I really wanted to keep going. Melissa, you mentioned when you watched it that you weren't a fan of the pacing and the comedic timing there. Yeah. I mean, I think it got better. I noticed I I kept thinking of our conversation as I was watching it further. And I definitely saw an improvement both in her timing and kind of her comfort level on the camera, Mm -hmm. I think, changed dramatically in the first the first couple episodes. I've been following her on Instagram for a while, and I think you two have as well. In the first couple episodes, it sort of felt like she was like freeze framing in like these Instagram posts, you know? 
all the time and then kind of like adding words to it. But like her body wasn't moving very much. And then as it went on, she sort of became more animated and natural and started making different faces, you know, different expressions instead of trying to maintain that kind of perfect smile all the time. Right. So it definitely became more comfortable. I think the Muppets still didn't really, they didn't grow on me as much as I thought they would. And I'm a big fan of Jim Henson. I grew up on Jim Henson. I know that those are Henson Muppets. Uh, I was reading about them, that they're associated with his company. But yeah, I don't know. The Muppets just to me, like they still, it became more comfortable as time went on, but I still don't know that they were really all that necessary yeah like every huh. time she started cooking and baking i was like oh this is this is my favorite part like this is all i really want to see i just want to see her cook and bake and talk about all the little things that she's putting on and and it's just delightful to listen to her explain what she's doing because that's really where she's in her comfort zone you know every time she's in those scenes it's like she's comfortable and she's natural and she's just like you know, you it's fun to watch somebody actually cook. I think as Ryan can attest to, a lot of those mm -hmm. shows, the people that are talking about and displaying their stuff are not really doing any of the work. If you've been following Christine McConnell, you know that she does actually bake these things and she has amazing talent. So I don't know. Yeah, the Muppets were kind of a distraction. I, I actually... thought her boyfriend was fun when he came along. Yeah, he's fun. It was, it was kind of neat. Yeah. The Muppets actually kind of grew on me, which I honestly wasn't expecting. <laughs> By the time I got to the episode with Rose's birthday, they really grew on me, spe specifically Rose, the weird raccoon thing. I mean, it was kind of cute when they revealed that Rose was basically a roadkill that she brought back to life. Yeah, it was pretty cute. That made her more appealing. <laughs> One thing I learned, though, Christine McConnell, aside from her Instagram account, she's a very avid Redditor. I, I forgot that she was an avid Redditor until I was actually on a thread that mentioned her show and she just happened to have commented on that thread. And she was responding to somebody that specifically said that she was really stiff on camera and that they didn't like the show and that they thought that she was a bad actress and all this weird stuff. And she was laughing it off and saying, yeah, I actually was really stiff in the first couple episodes. Mm -hmm. And she specifically mentioned that Netflix had her on a really crazy shooting schedule. And she felt that she needed to keep up the incredible quality of her desserts and stuff. Otherwise, her reputation would suffer for that. So she went days without sleeping to make sure that all of those confections that she had on camera there were top notch. And so that she could still shoot on schedule. So she actually brought up the second episode in particular and called herself the Crypt Keeper in that episode because you can see how bloodshot her eyes are and how tired she is. And that poor woman just trying to get everything together all at once. And honestly, that I mean, made me... She's not really an actress, right? Right, right. And that, that made me look at it a little bit in a different light. And like I... Like, I feel for her on that mm -hmm. on one level. Mm -hmm. And even putting that aside, I and I mean, just kind of thinking about it in that kind of ridiculous world, you know, suspending the disbelief of reality and stepping into that world that you're creating there or that she's creating there. Yeah, it, it really kind of grew on me. The, the ridiculousness has its own charm. And mm -hmm. she also mentioned that she designed those incredible cobweb cabinets that are in the kitchen there on set. I noticed those. Aren't those cool? I yeah. noticed those, yeah. It's all about aesthetics on that show. And I, I really mm -hmm. think that that pulls it off. The 
the puppets in the story that they are weird, but I don't know. They kind of work for me. They're awkward. I, yeah. I, I liked Edgar and Rose more as the show went on. I, I didn't like the cat anymore. Yeah, the cat. As yeah. the show went on. Not a fan of the cat. Just, no, he was just kind of like throwing insults at everybody throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it never really felt, you know, like gentle or playful. It just kind of felt crotchety and angry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So as many of you guys know, I spent most of my uh, adult life working on cooking shows. And most cooking shows have what's called a culinary producer. And then that culinary producer has a team of people. And those people are responsible Hmm. for making the food that appears on camera. And they usually are in charge of organizing the choreography of exchanging the dishes so that there can be quick you know, like camera swaps to show the beauties of it as it comes out of the oven. And so everything's like pre-made at the various steps so that you don't really do the dish in real time. And I got to imagine with her, because she's so protective over her, of her brand or her as a brand that since she's doing all of that herself, that she's doing a lot more work than your average stand and stir cooking host and i could totally believe that with everything else that she probably wasn't sleeping much if she was also being her own culinary producer what the show kind of reminded me of was a little bit of like a throwback to like the 80s whore, like cheesy whore host kind of stuff with the puppets like old elvira or like um, svenguli i grew up in the midwest and we had like dr morbius and if you ever seen gremlins 2 there's like the Grandpa Munster character guy that like is a, wants to be a reporter, and he in his show mm-hmm. like that where they have puppets mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's it's a bit of a throwback to like old like horror host stuff, and she does seem to be kind of striking a slight Elvira tone to her with I don't know her aesthetic. So I, I I'm not really as into it. Yeah. I mean I don't mind it as much as I once did, but I think Melissa is the only one that's like seeking it out now. I mean, I like it enough that I was disappointed to learn that I had watched all the episodes. <laughs> you know, so it's it snuck up on me. I was like, "Oh, there's no more episodes." Wait, I like this show, don't I? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good and a sad feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like the Munsters, like spinster cousin. You know, <laughs> yeah. like she lived up the street, never got married, and had a family. <laughs> she just brought brought Roadkill back to life to hang out with her in her house. Yeah, I did also like the tongue-in-cheek running joke of every time she was explaining how to do one of the confections and or you know one of her projects there, and the puppets would be like, "Who is she talking to?" And they're like, "I don't know. She's just always doing this. Like, there's nobody else here." I found myself looking up things that she was talking about that I'd never heard of before. Yeah, like what was that stuff that she kept isomalt? I'd never heard of that before and she kept saying the word and I so I'm sitting there like googling it and looking at videos of it while I'm watching the show cool <laughs> so I learned about baking materials while I was watching it <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great and I might go back and try to watch a few episodes with Max because he has he has a weird thing where sometimes he'll get into like He'll, sometimes he'll be interested as long as I don't tell him we're going to watch it and I just trick him into seeing it. He'll be interested in like <laughs> a cooking show or like a house design show, like kind of strange things like that. He'll get into. I just have to like let him walk into the room and see it. <laughs> and then he'll be interested. But, you know, it's funny because like I use that same trick on my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he watched so- Downton Abbey with me for a while when he was little. 
<laughs> he would just like sit quietly and stare with his mouth open. <laughs> it was like some kind of magic trick. <laughs> so haunted. How about you talk about that one, Melissa? So I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this. I've only seen two episodes of it. But I actually think it's worth watching. And I think Sierra especially. I was watching this and I kept thinking Sierra's going to love this show. Yeah, Drew actually oh, asked me. to watch it. I haven't started, though. Yeah, what? Drew. <laughs> I haven't started, but I'm excited for it. Okay. Drew asked me so, if it was a Sierra recommendation. I was like, Sierra doesn't Aww. recommend everything I watch. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it? I can't find an IMBD for it. So it is a... Oh, here, I find it. It's like a... I guess it's a... You call it a documentary series, sort of? Like, based on true stories. Ryan's going to mm-hmm. laugh at this, but based on true stories. I don't I don't quite get the kind of like the setup of it and it's so it's got this weird setup where a person will start telling a personal story of haunting that they experienced and um they're sitting in a room with like other people sitting in chairs kind of in a circle around them listening to the person talk and while they tell their story they've got these like reenactments going on and you guys know i hate i hate dramatic reenactments and it like turns me off of so many shows Mm -hmm. but i will say that the reenactments in this show are actually the best part of the show they really are (laughs) it's like and it's not they're not cheesy they're pretty scary they're pretty Uh intense the person telling the story it's very it's a very awkward thing because you have this person sitting there telling this really emotional story they're often like in tears and then there's a circle of people who as far as i can recall they don't really introduce <laughs> no. these people like sitting in a circle staring yeah. at the person who's telling the story yeah i think in the second episode they might have put like a little graphic underneath kind of saying like oh this is the person's sister you know but there were still like four mm-hmm. other people in the room that don't know who they are yeah they <laughs> that's funny they did in the first episode too but it's still like like i feel like they kind of left people out and they're like yeah. i, I I got into like I think five episodes so far, and there are two women that are reoccurring in each of the episodes. So I can only assume that they're hosts, and the but they don't really say anything, right? Right with the with the nature of the show because it's all people that have experienced some kind of supernatural stuff throughout their lives. Like I kind of expected them to be like a medium or you know like mm-hmm. somebody to try to help them. But no, they just sit there and they're like, how did that make you feel? Like, are you still being haunted by this ghost? Like once in a blue moon, they will say something. Yeah. I got to say, 98% of the time, these episodes end horrifically with this person saying, I feel like I'm going to die tomorrow. Fuck. And then the episode (laughs) just ends. Like, yeah, shit. (laughs) But, But that's kind of what's interesting about it is I expected it to be people telling these really cheesy stories of like, oh, you know, there was a thing that kept knocking on my door at night or my toes would get cold, you know, like these kind of like silly sort of generic ghost interaction things that people say. But no, Mm -hmm. these stories are fucked up. They like are the stories that these horrific. people tell are so oh, horrible and fucked up. My God. To the point that by by the second episode, I was like, these are not based on real stories. Come on. Like, like these two women are sitting here talking about their dad being a freaking serial, a serial killer on TV. Killer. Like Holy these are not shit. these are not real stories. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just sitting in a room full of people telling the story about their I dad know. being a killer. 
Oh my, like, god. oh my god! Like it was, <laughs> where, I don't even know what's supernatural about this. Your your family is just full of psychos. Like that's I mean, the bottom line here. In There's fairness, nothing supernatural about this. In that one, like they kind of turned it around that their dad was like possessed by a demon or some shit. Like Mm-mm. seriously, I went through that whole episode. Like, what is supernatural about this? He's just a terrible person. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going killer. That's on he is. here? Oh my god, it was frightening. But yeah. But it's it's interesting. It's it's not like any other, you know, based on a true story show that I've ever watched. Not only because the dramatic reenactments are like a full-on horror movie. It's like watching yeah. clips of a horror movie and they're terrifying. Exactly. 100% the dramatic reenactments are like... It's, they're the best it's, part of the show. Yeah. It's seriously like <laughs> watching a horror show with some weird kind of narrator that butts right. in sometimes. That's broken up by like a bunch of people awkwardly staring at the person who had this terrible experience. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe they're psychologists and they're going to make this person feel good. No, they nope. just like every no. now and then they'll go, are you still being haunted? And the person's like, yes. And they're crying and the that people are just staring at them you, with like blank faces. <laughs> god that's so weird it's so weird but it's you also watch really, it. really fun and creepy as hell so it's it's definitely worth watching oh i can't believe i'm laughing about this but my god hey i brought the paranormal wine drinking ladies on here one time so it's not the weirdest thing that we recommended true. i don't even remember what that show was called it was like the the book club ghost hunter group mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll definitely get a kick out of it sierra yeah yeah i'm so show. excited to watch it <laughs> so is that it for our recommendations does anybody have anything that jackie didn't already have on her list <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to recommend i'd like to recommend a movie or two that i okay. didn't mention how dare you i suppose i suppose we'll let you talk. <laughs> mention i have something old and i have something new and something borrowed and something blue. Yeah, let's oh. talk about the blue thing first. <laughs> um, next time. So the first one is Mandy, which is a 2018 film by, I don't, I'm going to butcher his name, Panos Cosmatos. He did the Beyond the Black Rainbow, which got very mixed reviews. But this this movie is with Nicolas Cage. And I don't, it, both of these movies that I'm going to recommend, I, I don't want to say too much about them because they're. I think they're best enjoyed going in blind, I think you could probably watch a trailer if you need to prepare yourself, but they're, I think, best enjoyed because they're the kind of films that you watch and you just are driven to say, what the fuck just happened? Like every scene. <laughs> and <laughs> those, and those movies are best going in blind as a bat. And and this is one of them. And it's got Nick Cage at his full Nick Cagest. And it's it's a very crazy film. He plays kind of a blue collar, redneckish kind of guy. It's a very quiet, slow burn movie. And he lives with his wife or girlfriend in the woods and they run afoul of a group of cultists that are very, they're, um, how should I say, they're, they're, they're drug enthusiasts into a mm-hmm. very powerful hallucinogen that is very central to the plot of the film. And I will say no more, <laughs> but it's, it's a movie that takes a little bit of patience getting in because it, it's a very slow build, but the, the atmosphere uh, through the cinematography and the sound and the color is so thick from the, the beginning that from the very beginning, you'll, you'll be seeing what the fuck am I watching? And, and that's the main reason I recommend this. You might not walk away putting it in your best of 2018 list, but it, 
is it is a movie that kind of demands to be seen because it's its own thing. It knows what it wants to be and it and it bees it. Who <laughs> does it? And it's it's a movie they'll stick with you and you'll want to talk to people about. The other film is a little known film from 1986 called Terror Vision. And this was a movie that if you Google the name and look at the, 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 the poster art, I would see this movie when I would hound the cult classic horror section as a child going through the, the video rental stores and it always captured my imagination, but I never got around to seeing it till like five years ago. So I, I expected that to hate it even back then. It would just be terrible. And it's not great, but I didn't expect to love it, especially not getting in on the ground floor because it's really hard. If you if you try to show people movies from the 80s sometimes that you love and you're like, this is so awesome. And they watch it and then they just look you weird like they don't want to know you anymore. Th- this might be that movie for you. <laughs> but for me, like, it, it's just wonderfully crazy, but in a completely different way than Mandy. Mandy's kind of disturbing Hellraiser crazy. And this is more silly wacky 80s crazy it's got diane franklin in it if you know her from better off dead or amityville horror 2 or the last american version she's a kind of an 80s staple actress uh, john grease who was benjamin linus's dad and lost he was also in like real genius there's just a lot of people in this movie where it's like oh it's that guy it's that girl like it's kind of a who's who of 80s people and again it's just so fucking weird <laughs> when you watch it it's it's an easy to sit through kind of fun blast that could only ever be made and come from the 1980s. And those are my recommendations. I gotta say, this hair and that monster can definitely only happen in the 80s. <laughs> you look at the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, watch the trailer. You'll be okay. <laughs> going to spend the rest of our evening here chatting about the Halloween franchise, which has been running for a very, very long time. It was one of the first, I guess, slasher films that I saw as a child and definitely one of my top favorites. I think when it comes to slasher films, especially 80s, most horror fans are kind of like, will choose a favorite. You'll either you're either a Friday the thirteenth, a Halloween, or a, a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of person. We can all enjoy mm-hmm. all three of those, but I think most people kind of pick a favorite out of that group. And Halloween for me was definitely my favorite in that group. I don't know that Ryan would say the same thing. I know he's a big Friday the thirteenth nerd as well. Oh, I mean uh, I'm not gonna make you choose. <laughs> So I don't know nearly as much about Halloween or really about 80s horror in general as he does. This is a great time to throw it over to Ryan and let him tell us a little bit about Michael Myers. Okay. So have, <laughs> have you guys seen the new Halloween, first off? Nope. Anybody? 
Not yet. <gasps> no. In fact, Ryan, it has been probably a decade since I've seen a oh, Halloween movie. Been... No shit. Any Halloween Seriously. movie. Seriously. Okay. Seriously. It's been that long. So I want you the to talk me into to get them to watch that's it again. That's not necessarily <laughs> yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> considering the halloween films that have come out as of late except for the latest one i'll get into that later but the latest one is awesome good that's good to hear but i'm 41 years old 41 years young Uh, i was born in 77 so the original halloween came out 40 years ago i was a little too young to see it obviously when i was one but it was the first movie i saw on vhs it was the first vhs i owned and i think i was five yes my parents got that for me uh, when I was that young. Um, nice. That was just kind of, my, my grandma was, a, was really a, a horror freak, so I kind of got um, grandmothered into horror acceptance. <laughs> um, but if you think about 40 years ago, it's, I, mean, you, I, know, I realize uh, Melissa and me are the same age. You guys are, I think, a little bit younger than us, but it's hard for me to conceptualize 40 years because it doesn't seem like that long ago. But if you think about what was 40 years ago to people in 1978? You're talking 1938. And that's kind of where it hits home how long ago that really was. That's like the Bride of Frankenstein era, you know, to mm-hmm. us. This movie has been around a long time. So 40 years ago was a, really the first chance people got a glimpse of this movie by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. And I want to emphasize John Carpenter and Deborah Hill because it's always Carpenter, 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 Carpenter. And Deborah Hill never gets her due. And she is just as much a part of the origin and the success of this franchise as John Carpenter, or at least pretty darn close. Close enough that it's, it's a crime that she isn't mentioned with Halloween as much. And it's not remembered because it grossed $47 million on a $300,000 budget or was for the longest time the most successful independent film ever made or that it made the careers of John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis, it's because 40 years later, that movie is still scary as fuck. And I will watch it today and it will still creep me the fuck out and make me wonder if my doors are closed. And there's parts of it that haven't aged, you know, so well, but at its core, it still scares me. And I don't think it's how Michael acts or doesn't act or his mask or the music or the sound effects cues or the acting, the casting, directing, cinematography or the pacing the impending dread the editor gave it or the dialogue, it was all of the above, all these circumstances coming together in this perfect stew at the same time, like lightning in a bottle or a blood orgy in a pumpkin. It was just sheer dumb luck of all the right components coming together at the right time to make what what I find to be the quintessential modern horror film. It's not just the kickstart to the golden age of slasher films, but it's the first movie I've owned on VHS. And it's it's high, held very high for me in the higher echelons. I can't say that it's my favorite horror film, but it's it's had a profound impact on me. And I think because it came out exactly in 1978, and it was an independent horror film that made so much money, at the birth of the format wars of beta and VHS, that it's directly responsible for the huge surge or most of the huge surge of early 80s horror. That there was just a lot of money pumped into independent horror after Halloween. So there's so much in horror that happened because of Halloween that was an imitation of Halloween. Uh, that it's, it's hard to understate it as, as an entity on its own terms. I just want to get in a little bit about some of the trivia 
of, of Halloween. And then hopefully we can just kind of have a more loose conversation about like our mutual experiences with the Halloween franchise. Independent film producers Erwin Yablons and his financier partner Mustafa Akkad, they kind of went to find John Carpenter because they had seen The Exorcist, which was a big budget studio horror film that was very successful. And these guys had never mm-hmm. really done film before, but they, they knew that they wanted to do a horror film. And they wanted John Carpenter because they saw Assault on Precinct 13 and said, that's a guy that can make a movie that looks really expensive for cheap. And Fair. <laughs> yep. It's a good talent to have. Yeah, and it was just another super low budget and movie. And they just really, really, really badly wanted their own exorcist. So they originally came to him and Deborah Hill, who were partners, about this idea they had called the babysitter murders. And that's how the project originally started, was just around the loose concept of a babysitter murderer. The bulk of the script that was written and the original Halloween script was written in 10 days. In 10 days, Halloween Jeez. was written by Jesus. Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And the bulk of it relies upon Deborah Hill's experience as a babysitter. All the dialogue that's in the film for the, the main protagonist, is, except for Loomis, is written by uh, Deborah Hill. And she was you know, also part casting director, part editor, part set designer. Because it was such a low-budget film, Everyone kind of wore multiple hats and did multiple things. A little known fact is five different people played Michael Myers in that film. And one of them was Deborah Hill. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ooh, that's really cool. She just happened to be the person that had the costume, the Michael Myers costume in her car that day. And no one else had showed up with a, a costume and they needed an exterior shot of Michael. So she put on this mask <laughs> and they did it. And it, I believe it's one of the wide shots of Michael when he first encounters the little boy near the playground. I could be wrong on, on which scene, but I think that's it. Somewhat similar to uh, another bit of tangent trivia was the first time you see an adult Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 2. That's also a woman. That's their, their set designer. Again, because you just see Jason from the, the waist down, but that's, that's a different franchise. <laughs> so this movie was shot in 20 days in Pasadena. It was called Haddonfield because Deborah Hill grew up in Haddonfield, New Jersey, but they called it Haddonfield, Illinois, which is a fictional town. Carpenter, you know, he was new, but he was an auteur and he really wanted to, you know, make a good film. So half that budget went to just the cameras, the Panavision cameras. And that's one of the reasons why I think the movie stays a classic because it also looks just fantastic. They stopped kind of caring about the camera stuff for the franchise like midway through. And you'll notice the aspect ratio changes, I believe, on the fourth film to your standard 16 by 9 full screen, but um, boring garbage. So (laughs) the main person that played Michael Myers is Nick Castle, who actually has a cameo as Michael Myers in the, the latest Halloween film, but also uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, who was an, another set designer, all around jack of all trades. He also helped edited, and that guy went on to direct The Last Starfighter. Oh, fun! Kind of fun. Sadly, Deborah Hill passed away in uh, 2005 of cancer. 
She had worked with John Carpenter for most of her career. She started out as just a production assistant and worked her way up. She was an avid environmentalist and she was awarded and honored several times by Women in Film and the Producers Guild of America. And I, again, she was deeply involved with a lot of anything that John Carpenter has done throughout his career. And she doesn't get enough credit by people, including by John Carpenter. So I wanted to make a special point to like give her a shout out. Because uh, right now, you know, the new Halloween film has a lot of involvement from John Carpenter. Everyone mm-hmm. is rightfully excited about that because that's a good sign of quality. He is the producer and he does the music. He did the music for the first three Halloween films. And it's fun if you go on YouTube and you search Halloween music and there's one file that has all of them compared to listen to how the music changes and how the quality and cheesiness of it changes uh, when other people try to take his music and, and redo it. And then I think they got so lazy on the later films that they just started reusing scores from like Scream and other horror films altogether. So have you guys all seen the first Halloween? Yes. How long has it been? A while, it's like been years. too long for me. Yeah. yeah, like it has been years since so what, I've seen it. What are you, what were your impressions of Halloween? I mean, when I first saw it, I I definitely was very intrigued by the whole slasher thing. Now the psychological horror has come more into the fray. I'm much more interested in that these days. Right. To be to be honest, I'm not really that into slasher horror that much, but I am kind of interested in revisiting it, especially with this new reboot coming out. Or I guess it's just, it's a, a sequel. Is it another, is it a sequel? Yeah, I guess you would call it like a requel, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. sequel and it does both of those things. It reboots the franchise and kind of gives it new characters to thrive on. But it's also a direct sequel. It discards every single film except for the first one. It picks okay. directly after the first one. Which makes it easy for you guys because you don't need to watch any of the other films. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you can just go straight into this one. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I, uh, Halloween is famous as a slasher film, but I would say because it's, it's one of the first and kind of started the quote unquote golden age of slashers that it's, it's not, it's the least slashery of slasher films. And it's, it's at its core, a suspense thriller. Mm-hmm. And that the irony being that, because it kind of helped jumpstart this whole infusion of independent horror that it was this movie that Sean Cunningham saw and was like, I have to make a horror film. And he made Friday the 13th. And that, right. and that movie was all about set piece kills of like, we don't really have a plot. We're just going to have all these crazy death scenes and then kind of link mm-hmm. them together. Whereas the deaths in the first Halloween, they're not really that dramatic. Like he strangles somebody and he like stabs somebody. And the drama is the suspense that builds up to the kill. It isn't the kill itself, which isn't particularly gory. It's just kind of more shocking. Mm -hmm. The irony is the second Halloween is very much a slasher and is actually directly trying to compare and and one-up Friday the 13th. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill didn't want to do a Halloween too. Well, what they wanted to do was their idea for the franchise, and it's it's sad thing that it never happened, was they wanted to make a different film, a different story, and call it Halloween every year. So it'd be an anthology movie. Oh, that'd be really cool. cool. Yeah. So they ended, uh, just a, a quick refresher, they ended the first Halloween by having Michael Myers shot out of the window, and then you look out the window and he's gone. And that's supposed mm-hmm. to be the end and that's it. And that's all that they wanted was like, that's the impact that 
he's just out there and it's scary. La di da. But the, <laughs> the studios were like, no, we need Michael back. We need Michael back. And they're like, this is stupid. That undercuts the entire point of the movie. And they're like, well, listen, how about this? We'll pay you a lot of money to do it. And then after this movie, <laughs> but listen, <laughs> listen <laughs> what if money? <laughs> you'll have creative control so you can do it however you want. And you can make it this one. So it's the final one. You can kill them. And then the next movie, you'll be able to do your anthology. Lies. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they got their way, but be careful what you wish for. So they did it. And so the whole point of John Carpenter through Halloween one was I need to make this the best film possible. And that's why like, the opening tracking shot of that movie is amazing, especially for an amateur. And there's actually a, a callback to that in the new Halloween. There's a long tracking shot that's just amazing to watch. It's like a one shot. And that's kind of like his way of like when at least film nerds would start watching it and they think, oh, good, it's just a horror movie. He wanted to show them with the first shot. He's like, no, motherfuckers, I'm a good filmmaker. And so that's what he did. And he, mm-hmm. he took that movie very seriously in that context. And the second one, he was like, I don't want to fucking do this shit. Look, they just need a successful film. And so then he was just like, I'm just going to make it like Friday the 13th. That's what they want. And so he didn't really give a shit. And so it's competently made, but it's just kind of like, meh. Mm-hmm. But he did write it so that Michael Myers like got shot in the eyes and blown up at the end. And so he thought that was that. And he was right at that time. And they let him do Halloween three, but you don't do that with a third one. And the fans freaked the fuck out because like, it was just a movie about uh, Halloween masks that killed people. And people are like, wait, what the fuck is this? Where's Michael Myers? And, and so it did poorly and it kind of killed the franchise for a good number of years. And then nobody wanted to deal with Halloween and it was a uh, universal had done two and three and they're like, fuck this. And so they sold the rights off cheap back to the original producers, Mustafa Akkad. And if you watch any Halloween film, they'll say Mustafa Akkad presents and the latest one it's dedicated to him because he's dead. That's who Mustafa Akkad is. And so he got back the franchise and he tried to get John Carpenter to do the fourth one. And John Carpenter's like, okay, I'll do it, but give me $10 million. He's like, why do you want $10 million? He's like, well, you kind of fucked me over in the first one. I didn't see any money on it. And you guys made like a hundred million dollars. So I want $10 million. And so they told John Carpenter to go fuck himself. And so John Carpenter wasn't involved with the fourth one, but they did use some of his early ideas. So there's still like a touch of John Carpenter in it. And so the fourth one was made. Uh, it, it's it's pretty good in a, in a sense that they in the way that they bring back Michael Myers. Have any of you guys seen two, three, or four? I've seen the second one, but I definitely haven't seen the fourth one. It, Have you seen the third one? I don't know. Honestly, I can't I don't keep remember. them straight. <laughs> we just watched one of them on like AMC cable while we were like on vacation in Disneyland, and I I'm not. I genuinely don't know if it which number it was. You remember, is there anything you could describe about it that might clue me off? It had Jamie Lee Curtis, I want to say. Okay. And it was her and her son. Her son was like the same age that she was when all of this happened. Okay. I know. Um, And which one was it? Halloween H2O. Oh, that was H2O? Yeah, that was H2O. Oh my gosh. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so that was... Was that a good oh my gosh or was that a bad oh my gosh? I don't... I imagined in my head H2O and Jason X as like the same like level of cheesy jumping the sharkness just based off of the names. Oh, 
and I don't it was just all of my own assumptions based on absolutely no information the irony is, <laughs> is that for the franchise h2o was actually a moment of return to form for the franchise because of how horrible the movie was that came before hmm. i would recommend that you ever got like a night that you're wanting to watch something again that's just like what the fuck am i watching watch halloween 3 that movie's Okay. fucking crazy it's just it, again another movie that's like this could only be made in the 80s it's worth being seen and i'm gonna spoil the fuck out of it because who cares right it's oh, it's like 20 years old or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. so the underlying theme of all these films is this weird celtic pagan cult shit right that that carpenter and deborah hill were obsessed about it was like in the back of their minds when they wrote the first one for michael myers but they didn't mention it and then they started mentioning it in the second one and that's how the, the the franchise started to become dumber and dumber was they started doubling down on the weird like cult stuff and it just got sillier and sillier but three is its own kind of stupid batshit silly because <laughs> it deals with that but it's like this guy who's making these halloween masks and his whole idea is that he wants to do this mass sacrifice of children on halloween to appease like sam hayne the the forest demon or some shit so that they can have like you know fertility and good times ahead and so there's like these mass- wait 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 back up he wants to kill children yeah. so that he can have more children he well, he wants to kill children so that it it makes a lot of so sense. that it heals like the world sort of in an evil way that it like cleanses the world sure 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 like <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> he's got like these minions that are like robots but they're not robots. What? And like when the these masks go off, like they like blow up people's heads with lasers, but like it like they if they fill up with bugs and like bugs start exploding from it. It's just like well, you watch it, like what I mean is this? It's, you can't have robots without lasers, so there's and that bugs and bugs. Out of people, right? <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's just it's a fucking crazy film. I mean, I can understand why at the time people were like, What the fuck? But like <laughs> watching it now today it's kind of fun to watch like even in just like a troll sense of trying to imagine what it was like to be like a a, a young michael myers fan going into halloween 3 like oh i can't wait to see how they have michael myers survive (laughs) like all right where's what what is this why is this called three (laughs) what (laughs) but one interesting little tidbit that's going to spoil the end of the film unfortunately but again the enjoyment of the film isn't the surprise ending so the ending is is bad for the world. Like the ending basically is it, it ends with the, the protagonist on the phone yelling towards a, a TV station to stop this feed of this commercial that's going to send the message to all these masks to explode basically and kill children to stop the feed that's like feeding the world the signal. And he's just on the, the film yelling, stop it, stop it. And it's actually a really great moment. And that's how the movie ends. And it's creepy as fuck for as silly as the movie is just to imagine like, holy shit, like millions of kids are just dying. Well, in the original mm-hmm. version, instead of the music in the credits, the director wanted just the sounds of millions of children dying. Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and it's like, if they had actually done that, like how, like what ripples through time and space would have that have changed the culture? Just like to subject people to like, oh, 10 minutes of listening to children just going, ah. 
So yeah, that never happened. But sounds like that's a good thing it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I kind of want to hear whatever he, the sample was. But anyway, that kind of killed the franchise for like five years. They'd been pumping them out like every year. But then they came back and they made a new one. They made part four, where basically you're supposed to believe that Michael and Dr. Loomis survived the explosion that that killed them at the end of part two. Of course, they did survive it and they're all scarred. And then Michael escapes from the hospital and goes on a killing spree, yada, yada, yada. It's actually, it's a, it's as far as slashers go, it's it's a good slash if you like slashers. And it was a wonderful return to like the the core of the franchise for the people that really, really were angry about three and not seeing Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of studying the evolution of the masks of Halloween. And it's really fun to go and just look at different images comparing how they change the masks every year. And I think a lot of people know that the original mask is based on a William Shatner mask, right? Mm-hmm. You guys know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had a very low budget and they sent Tommy D. Wallace in to get masks to sample. And he came back with a clown hobo mask and a a Captain Kirk mask and a, a Spock mask was at one point considered as well. I don't know if that, mm-hmm. um, that Michael Myers could have also been Spock. And they decided that the clown was creepy, but after they like spray painted Kirk white and like cut back the hair and made the eyes a little wider, that Captain Kirk pale was just creepier than a clown. And it's true. It's again, lightning and a bottle of dumb luck, but they changed the mask from film to film. And it ceases to become this kind of crude object that's creepy and more turns into this kind of not so scary thing that was obviously created in a studio to look like something. And it's just, mm-hmm. it just kind of gets dumber and sillier as the, the movies go on. Like the mask looks more and more expensive, which it shouldn't, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose. Exactly. And the fifth one, the director who is this guy? What is his name? I can't, another name I can't pronounce. Well, Domique Othinarin Gerard, who is a Swiss director, I believe. And he thought that the mask was too girly. And so he gave it a bigger nose because he wanted it to be more phallic, like a more manly Michael Myers, which is really weird. And if you go look sure. at pictures of Michael Myers, not the, the poster, because for whatever reason on the poster, they use the classic mask. But if you look at the mask for part five, you'll notice he's got this big nose. Really <laughs> fucking weird to me that the little <laughs> things that they freak out about. And then like, you know, in H2O, like his mask kind of looks like a frat boy, like a pudgy frat boy for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> they changed mask actually in the middle of H2O. And if you look closely in one of the scenes, it's a CGI mask. And if you Google CGI oh, Michael Myers, it's the most silliest, ridiculous looking fucking thing on the planet. H2O was actually supposed to be the return to form because of six. Hmm. Let's talk about part six. We had four, Michael comes back, and then at the end he's shot with a bunch of shotguns and he falls down a well and they throw dynamite on him and he's supposed to be dead. But of course he's not. He's (laughs) saved by a fucking hobo at the beginning of part five. And then he kills the hobo because, you know, fuck you hobo, I'm Michael Myers. And then he goes on another killing spree. And the whole arc with four and five is that Lori has been killed in a car accident at some point, and her daughter is now living in secrecy with relatives. And now Michael Myers wants to kill her daughter, Jamie, which is played by Danielle Harris. Uh, you might recognize Danielle Harris. She's in a number of horror, other horror films, but she's mainly known for the 
Halloween franchise. So the first knock against part six is that it picks up right off after part five. And part five is just fucking terrible. As, as big of a fan as I am of the franchise, part five is a really bad film. And you can tell it was made by somebody that just didn't care about the franchise, as was part six. I take it you guys haven't seen part five, right? I have not. <laughs> so for those of you that have, you'll know that at the end of part five, they have Michael who has been captured and arrested and he's sitting in jail. If you can imagine the absurdity of having a guy in jail that's already yeah, been that's shot ridiculous. 15 times and <laughs> blown up. Sprinkled throughout part five, you see these odd non sequitur shots of like a guy walking around in cowboy boots. At the end of part five, inexplicably, some guy with, with, with cowboy boots rescues Michael from prison and kills a bunch of cops and explodes the jail and sets him loose. And that's just how it ends. You're like, just randomly <laughs> fucking cowboy. With just some cowboy boot guy? Just a fucking cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. And now they had to explain that in part six. They didn't they didn't have it when they wrote part five. They're like, I don't know. They didn't have a plan for no. that. They, That's bringing a cowboy. They had the guy that played Michael Myers uh, play the cowboy because they wanted like maybe they'll say they're related in the next one. I don't know. That's, uh-huh. that's no problem. <laughs> yeah, that oh, makes wow. more sense. <laughs> so they start part six and Danielle Harris, who's now about 17 at the time, like they want her to return to reprise her character. And she wants to do it because she'd already done it for two films and the fans loved her. I loved her. She was my, she's my exact age. So it was like, it was like a, a protagonist that like, oh, that's kind of me, except I'm a little girl. Which sometimes I might be. And it, it was one of the reasons that really drew me into the film. So I was excited that she was going to be attached to it. The problem mm-hmm. was she was 17 and they're like, look, we have to do long shooting nights and you're still technically a minor. So she spent all this money to emancipate herself. And then she gets the script and reads it. And it's fucking terrible. And, oh, that sucks. And she's like, I, I hate this script. And and then they're like, we're only going to pay you $5,000, which didn't even cover what? the legal costs of what she spent to get emancipated. She's like, I've got to be able to break even. And they're like, sorry. And so she had to walk. Oh my so God. this film has one shining gold, glorious thing about it that is redeeming and that is that is the first movie is with the acting role for one mr paul rudd and i love paul rudd and so i will always love this film because <laughs> it's the first <laughs> paul rudd movie but it's also very weird to watch paul rudd in halloween fucking six it was a movie made by a guy that hated the halloween franchise uh his name was joe Chappelle. He did try to make an honest attempt to try to tie the mythology back, which was, again, this weird cult thing that, like, there was some weird called the the cult of Thorn behind Michael Myers. And so he had it so that the guy that rescued Michael Myers was this cult leader who was actually one of the doctors from the first one, again, trying to tie it back to the first one. And and so Mm -hmm. that, like, this ridiculousness of, like, this cult was now keeping michael myers and then they had had kidnapped jamie and like impregnated her with michael myers's baby and then they get lost the baby and then paul rudd had the baby and then they were after paul rudd and <laughs> and it's just fucking bonkers and it was a mess and the studio came in after test screenings and they're like this movie is ridiculous stupid and it's going to lose us a lot of money and we want a different movie mm-hmm. They went to do reshoots, but they had a big fucking problem on their hands. And that's Donald Pleasance, the guy that plays Dr. Loomis, died. 
he died. Oh, no. He died right after they did the theatrical cut. And keep in mind, Joe Chappelle, the asshole that directed this film, cut most of Donald Pleasance's scenes from this movie because he said that that he found Donald Pleasance to be boring. Oh, lovely. (laughs) He's like a stab in the fucking heart because he's like, he's like, he's a Shakespearean actor. He's a fucking like uh, a film legend and he's a joy to watch Mm -hmm. on screen, even in schlock, even in the schlock. And so... (laughs) To see him treated kind of like that in his last role is just terrible. So they had originally had it in the at the end of that film was that Michael Myers was supposed to pass the curse on to Loomis. Basically, it was supposed to be that that Loomis was going to be the caretaker of Michael Myers and he was cursed forever or whatever. That was the ending that they wanted to do to redo. And they couldn't because Donald Pleasance was dead. And so they cut off all these different story arcs and lines to try to get to this false ending that they made out of footage and fucked up reshoots. And the movie just doesn't make sense. And so for the longest time on the internet, there was this legend of this producer's cut that was like original (laughs) cut that was supposed to save the film. And so it circulated a lot in the early like pirating days. Oh, Halloween 6, the producer's cut. And the fans just like went gaga over it like oh it's the best film ever and you watch it and you're like no it's fucking terrible it's just not as terrible like yeah it kind of makes sense but it's still really terrible and most people thought that it killed the franchise and so that's why when h2o came out and again john carpenter was gonna be involved but they wouldn't pay him enough so they they told each other to fuck off again but Jamie Lee Curtis, they were able to offer her enough money. And she said, oh, yes, please, I'll do it. And it is better than six. Like, it does have a linear plot. It does have uh, that beginning, middle, and end thing that most movies are, are supposed to have that six doesn't really have. And it has LL Cool J in a support. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, it's better than... And Josh Harnett, who was reluctant to do the film until Jamie Lee Curtis signed on. And they brought back a lot of the old people, the crew to work on that film to try to make again like like the old film. And that movie was made by Steve Miner who did Friday the 13th 2 and 3. So it had a good pedigree for being, you know, good, at least not terrible. And they got that. It was at least not terrible. I know, Sierra, it's hard to understand that some of you might say that that movie's not terrible because you watched it today. Oh man, it's not that great of a movie. But if you had watched Heart Stakes and then watched H2O, you'd probably think H2O seemed like the godfather. because At least I could like understand what was happening. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I send the bar low, I realize. So yeah, Steve Miner did Halloween H2O and that kind of restarted the series again and that it did really well at the box office. And then, unfortunately for Jamie Lee Curtis, she was contractually obligated to be involved with the sequel, Halloween Resurrection, which Mm. to me is arguably the worst one in the series, which is tough because, you know, most of them, and I I enjoy the franchise, but I'll be the first to admit that there's a lot of shitty films in this franchise. And this one is the shittiest, probably, probably the shittiest. And it, the sad thing is, is they brought back Rick Rosenthal that directed the second one, which was a fan. It, it was at least a solid slasher. So people thought like, well, at least they won't have some asshole that hates Halloween uh, involved. But sadly, and I, I hope none of you are familiar with this one and you certainly don't need to be. But so at the end of H2O, Sierra, as you know, 
if you, can you remember what happens at the end of H2O? Did you see watch it to the end? I don't I know I watched it to the end, but I think I might have been falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so at the, at the I remember her crawling around on the floor underneath tables for like a really long time. Okay. So at the end of it, Halloween H2O, the whole premise of H2O is that it discards four, five, and six out of the canon. It says it doesn't happen. Originally, the guy that wrote it helped write Scream. And, and originally the idea was that they were going to try to tie them all together. And Jamie Lee Curtis had faked her own death and abandoned her daughter or something. Mm-hmm. And she was supposed to like through a, a, an exposition scene at the beginning, it was supposed to be explained that like a book report on, on, on Michael Myers, like, Oh, this happened and that happened. And she was like this, you know, person in the audience that no one knew was Lori Strode. And that's how she was finding out that her daughter was killed by Michael Myers. And she goes into a bathroom and throws up. And that was their way of tying everything together. Like, Oh, she's been in hiding all this time. But they decided when they ended up filming it, just say, fuck it. We're just coming. We're following part two. And we're saying, mm-hmm. fuck off to four, five, and six. Probably a good idea. It would have mm-hmm. been a better idea to just go back to the first one, which is... Ex- which we finally got yes. to eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good, solid idea. But so at the end of this one, so you have you have Michael pursuing Lori, finding her and her son, her adult son. And them having, you know, the, the, the duel of fate and at the end. And Lori traps Michael and cuts off his head with an axe. And I saw this movie in the theater and it was fucking great. Like, it was great to be in a crowd, to see Michael Myers in action again in a movie that was not part six, to have Lori back. And then you see at the end, it's like this axe falls on Michael's head and his head's off. And it's like, that's it fucking playing for keeps here and it's like fuck yeah Lori did it and everyone's just like you it was a great cathartic like bonding experience with the audience that was completely ruined and undercut by Halloween fucking resurrection and (laughs) so of course they can't have Michael Myers dead and this and the the funny fucking thing is is that the studio went to the the writers and they're like listen we want Michael to live and Mustafa Akkad wants Michael to die and you need to pretend that he's going to die but not really have him die and just lie to the, the the producer and say that he's dead forever but write this other script and they're like fuck you we can't do that and so that is shady as fuck it's very shady there's a lot of shady people that haven't been involved with this fucking franchise and so they start this movie and how they solve Michael getting his head cut off with an axe as they say well you know uh, Michael uh, kidnapped somebody this guy and he dressed him up like michael and he tied him to this thing and then he put duct tape over his mouth so he couldn't talk so laurie beheaded this innocent person that michael staged to be him and then went on the run for three years so and that's not the dumbest thing about resurrection okay like it's the the whole plot is centered around reality tv so like they're setting up this like live reality tv show from the michael myers house and a lot of it is shot like it's you're watching a reality show with like closed circuit camera because it's made in 2002 because you know it's the real world (laughs) and and it and the show is hosted by tyra banks and got buster rhymes in it and i shit you not there is a showdown between buster rhymes and michael myers and it's even worse because the mask Mm. in this film looks ridiculous and like Buster Rhymes calls him Mikey. Oh no. And he doesn't get killed. 
Buster Rhymes lives. He like boxes Michael Myers and, and he calls him Mikey. And I have to live with that. I have to, I, I go day after day having to remember. Keeps you up at night. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And so that rightfully killed the franchise for a while. Like it was fucking bad. Yeah. And like Jamie Lee Curtis even was like quoted as saying, yeah, that movie was just really stupid. And just the fans pretty much hated everything about it. There was almost nothing to get out of it at all. And it was just kind of a mean film too. It just was, I would recommend every fan just avoid it unless you just really want to appreciate the new one and to go, well, look how far they've come. (laughs) And sadly, the franchise kind of petered out for a while. And then they, Rob Zombie comes along. I got to be honest, like I was rooting for it because Rob Zombie is a true fan. And if you IMDb, both of Rob Zombie's Halloween films, it's amazing. It is, it's a study in horror because if you click on every single person that he cast in the, the very, his two Halloween films, every one of them is kind of a horror legend in their own right. If you look at the, all the films they're involved in, like it's a horror nerd's fantasy because he's a horror nerd. So you expect it to be good. And what he gives you is the, the first film is the first half is, is his own film. That's kind of like a prequel to Halloween. And then he remakes Halloween and the prequel is actually pretty good as its own film. It's just shitty as a Halloween film because you shouldn't explain who the fuck Michael Myers is because he's evil, right? That's what's scary about him is you don't know, not that he's just some like fucked up white trash kid. Like I see that Mm -hmm. every day almost you know like fucking a and so and the the second half of the film is the remake and that's just kind of condensed sloppy bleh but i did enjoy like the first half and then the second one as i watched with melissa she'll attest to is i have never through halloween the two rob zombie i have never said out loud during a film are you for real out loud more times during a movie than during that movie. <laughs> and I'm the guy that just recommended Vision for you guys to watch. And so like, I'm all for like weird, crazy shit, but you know, this movie was just, it just, it, it, I felt insulted. I, I had a, I had a friend that worked at Weinstein company at the time. And so he was loosely involved with Halloween too. And I'd had like contact with them and like, how's Halloween too? Is it, I was like, is it, (laughs) Uh I bet you it's going to be better than the second one because Rob Zombie doesn't feel like he has to remake anything. Right. So it's just Rob Zombie. I liked House of a Thousand Corpses. You know, I, Uh at that time I was a Chris Hardwick fan and I was, you know, I was excited about it. And, you know, and then I said to him, like, please tell me it's better than the first one. He's like, eh. No. Oh. Um. And then he told me about the response that the theatrical cut was getting, and I was like, "Well, is there a director's cut?" And he's like, "Yeah, there's a director's cut. I saw." It. I'm like, "Is it better?" He's like, "Yeah." No. No. And no. <laughs> so I watched the director's cut, and it's just bad. You know, the the one saving grace of it is like Sherry Moon Zombie. She. I mean, her role is really dumb, but she does act really well in it. It's a good display of her acting chops, but it's still a, a it's it's just really dumb. And I'm sorry if anyone here has seen it. I, I'm sorry, Melissa, that I, I made you watch it. Um, 
<laughs> Everybody should be sorry about that movie. It'd be I I think the people that made Halloween Resurrection in that movie should join a support group together. Possibly apologize to themselves <laughs> I mean, and uh, I'm not nearly as much of a Rob Zombie fan as you are either, so I just I don't think I went into it kind of with as high hopes, so maybe it wasn't as disappointing. I don't know. <laughs> well, I thought like, you know, he's a fan, so he understands what makes the franchise work mm-hmm. and why it's scary. Yeah. And this is where the new people come along and they know what Halloween is all about. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride decided to remake Halloween and they first approached Blumhouse Productions with their their idea and script and they took that idea and scripted to John Carpenter and said that they're only going to do it unless John Carpenter likes it. And even uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride said, we don't want to do it unless John Carpenter tells us it's going to work. And John Carpenter looked at it and he said, this is exactly what you need to do. And what they needed to do was to erase all the damage that John Carpenter did, which was injecting all this dumb cult shit and all this Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are relatives. And that that's why he's killing her is because he wants to kill his whole family and that he has to kill his own family to appease the gods of Sam Hain and some grand sacrifice and all that. It's that's not scary. It's what's scary that mm-hmm. he can be anywhere and he could kill anyone. And they went back to that and they got, uh, they got him to write the score and they got him to give kind of final edit on the script and give him ideas to reject. And one of the ideas that they rejected or that he rejected for them was that the originally the, 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 the first film, again, it, it picks up, after the first one and discards all the others, they were going to redo remake the original ending and do a twist where they have Lori shooting Michael off the balcony and make her more of the hero protagonist at the end. And John Comforter kind of stepped in and said, look, that's going to piss off the fans. You need to figure out a way to do it, that it lines up with the exact ending. And they, you know, I think that's true. And it's a good story idea because the, the way that they treat Lori's character in this film is, is one of the best things about it. And it's a great role for Jamie Lee Curtis. And it's a good study to tie back into kind of our television discussion. The film itself is a good meditation on trauma and what trauma can do to mm-hmm. people and how trauma can mm-hmm. change people and how that trauma you can pass on to people in your family. And they can pass it back to you and how your relationships and how you view the world and everyone you interacted with gets informed by this trauma and what it's like to be surrounded by people that can't empathize and they kind of treat you as a burden because. Yeah, there's a heavy focus in this one about uh, on like post-traumatic stress and, you know, how and I like that they kind of turned it around and gave Lori like that kind of humanity back again instead of just like the final girl as a tool to move the story, you know, Mm -hmm. she's, she really like is, she really is like a human again in, in this, in this one. And they let her be equally powerful and kind of in control of what's happening. But also she has her moments of, you know, very genuine, like frailty. And you can see the effect that all of this experience with Michael Myers has had on her. And also her, nice her, experience with her knowing that on one hand she needs to protect her family from Michael Myers and on the other she knows that to do so so vigilantly that she feels like they're safe is also abusing them 
and like mm-hmm. hear her have like moments where she's alone and she kind of just breaks down from the weight of of trying to juggle those things of knowing what's what do I do that's best for my family do I prepare them for this horror or do I spare them the daily anxiety of of always preparing it seems like they tried to get into that a little bit in H2O of the teenage son being like your overprotectiveness is too much right now yeah yeah but yeah. it wasn't to any kind of like thoughtful degree no 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 <laughs> <laughs> i would recommend the, the new halloween it's not flawless but i think that it's the best film in the franchise since the original i will say that it is a slasher film it is mm-hmm. very violent uh it was quite uncomfortable as somebody that's you know you know very cognizant of children and horror and that delicate balance of wanting my son to like the same things I am, but also uh, what point is this too much for someone of his age? There was people in that theater with really young kids that shouldn't have been there. And it made me, it made me really uncomfortable because I mean, even the first Halloween, which is largely a bloodless film is too much, but this film is so graphic. I think a lot of old slasher films, when they first started out, you know, it was that kind of like you see the knife coming down ah, ah, and then like you see the mm-hmm. body on the ground. But yeah. there's no like kind of there's no graphic like contact that you get to watch. And this is very much a modern slasher film. that <laughs> There is contact and you see these things happen. And in some cases, it's like, you know, they make sure that you get a shot of the results. And Oof. so it's uh, it's pretty graphic. Good to know. Yeah. Ryan, is there any like is there any like weird or creepy kind of rumors or trivia attached to these movies? Like we did a whole we did a whole episode one time about like on cursed films. Yeah, like cursed films and like onset craziness that went on. Like is the girl any- that got herself emancipated. Did that set mysteriously burn down? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we want the dirt. We want the dirty stuff. I mean, the it, the film is called The Curse of Michael Myers. And it, it <laughs> because most of the people that worked on it are quoted as saying they never wanted to work on a Halloween film ever again. <laughs> the film sure seemed cursed. And, you know, Donald Pleasance died while making it. Other than that, I mean, I guess you could, if you wanted to be a real stretch, so to get back to the masks, they uh, went to go back to do part four. They want to go, they wanted to use the original masks, but unfortunately the, the main mask was kept in Deborah Hill's bedroom and she was a heavy smoker and kept it in a box under oh. her, her bed. And so it kind of degraded and turned the mask yellow. She died of lung cancer. Uh, <laughs> so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, way too young uh so um there's a slight connection there uh, uh, a fun thing about h2o sierra that you might not have noticed so halloween is credited as, as the the uh, birth of the golden age of slashers but one of the first slashers credited is is psycho it's either peeping tom or psycho most mm-hmm. people say and the the heroine of you first think of psycho is the character of Janet Lee, who is the gets killed, uh, uh, Miriam Crane that gets killed in the shower. That's Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, and that's that's what? one of the huge reasons why she was uh, allowed to be cast in the original Halloween is because they could tie it back to Psycho and go, it's Janet Lee's daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Janet Lee has a cameo in H2O. She plays Marion, 
ha ha ha, the secretary. And she even says, there's a, there's a quote from her in the movie uh, where she's there at exchange of dialogue. She says something along the lines of, if I may offer you some maternal advice and a little like (laughs) for the audience. Uh, uh, Another little funny thing was PJ souls, the girl that played Linda was originally approached to play that role. She dies in the first one. She was, so she was kind of confused why they approached her. I guess they wanted her to do a different character, but because she took too long to get back to them, they went to Jamie Lee Curtis's mom and she was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so that was like the psycho, like passing of the torch kind of connection. And I thought I was like that scene, knowing that because it's just really adorable that she's with her mom and that is <laughs> adorable. Work and oh, it's pretty cool. Okay. That wasn't really dirty, but okay. No. <laughs> but it was Sounds wholesome. Like <laughs> if you want to get dirty, you go into the, the Friday the 13th franchise. Or <laughs> <laughs> Wrong <laughs> franchise. <laughs> interesting tangential stuff. Like I believe the writer of the second one was pulled away from it because he was going to be working on a, a remake of Creature of the Black Lagoon with John Landis. And he was only able to work on the second one because that project fell through when that project fell through john landis was free john landis was free to do twilight zone the movie twilight zone the movie segment and if any of you know that movie and the history with his segment for that film tangentially related but uh you know simple twist of fate uh there's horrific accidents during the production of that where uh an actor and, and and two children were killed by helicopter blades jeez that whole story is is a podcast in and of itself. Yeah. It's 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 quite the saga, and it changed like laws in the film industry about how late children could work in the industry. And those laws went on to directly reflect huh. and control how Danielle Harris was able and not able to star in part, parts four and five, and then give her issues with part six. It was the, the laws direct, directly related to the accidents on that film? Which, by the way, while we were talking about this, I looked up Daniel Harris, and we have the exact same birthday. Really? Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Same month, day, and year. <laughs> That's funny. You know Melissa Joan Hart? Yeah. She was she auditioned for the role of Jamie. She so uh, Daniel Harris beat out Sabrina, Teenage Witch. Oh. Again, not a dirtier or creepy thing, but. <laughs> that's all we talk about here is dirty and creepy so sierra and jackie do you guys feel compelled to go back and watch halloween or see the new Kinda, one no? yeah a little yeah. bit yeah yeah i was already planning on wanting to rewatch the first one and then watch this new one but now i'm even more excited the song is definitely like the song is implanted in my brain as a part of my childhood that Halloween chime. One of the things I really liked about the new film is the way that they creatively implemented that original sound throughout the movie in different ways. Not just like using the song over and over again, but there's like, there's moments where they kind of quietly, you just hear like a, a couple of sort of what sound like piano strokes that are mm-hmm. really slowed down, but like, you know what it's getting to. You know that, that you know what those sounds are leading to and they're leading into that song, but like they only give you a couple of little chimes here and there. I thought the the new movie was a really perfect balance of lots of nods that didn't feel forced to the original to the point that it, you know, gave me kind of flashbacks of like moments, exact moments that I could remember from the first film, but also modernizing the story in a really nice way. In particular, how they treated 
characters. And I think you guys will really enjoy the female heavy storyline in this one. And the way that, you know, there's three generations of women in this story who their relationships are very different and the in the way that they handle their family history and their trauma. It gives it definitely a bit more weight than most slashers have that I thought was really cool. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't touch on, Ryan, that's really important in, in this franchise? Or No, I mean, I think that's the gist of it. Yeah. I Again, I love the franchise i mean a lot of the horror franchises have ugly ducklings some more than others and this is no exception there's lots of highs and there's lots of lows i think most of the films are worth watching once if for nothing else then to appreciate some of the other ones and to kind of marvel Mm -hmm. at the silly ways that they try to do their own thing but also you know i'm going to tie on to every movie before this (laughs) so it becomes kind of (laughs) funny ridiculous web that's enjoying it in a different way than like you would like this is a good scary movie but i would i think the solid plan is is like you said you were going to do which is rewatch the first one and see the latest one i think that's Mm -hmm. right now if you're just getting into the franchise is the ultimate way to experience it in its utmost quality I, i i feel some of the other sequels are fun and worth watching but also if you weren't in on the ground floor they might be a little hard to understand kind of the uproar Also, we're not going to go, let's not go off on a tangent into Friday the 13th in this episode, because we know (laughs) that can go forever. But I know that there's a long and interesting history about the various people that played Jason Voorhees and then their relationships to each other. How do you know how many, do you know how many exactly, like how many different Michael Myers there were? I think, I want to say there's been close to 17. Oh, wow. Okay. There's usually one that's credited, but... And then like a stunt guy, like a double. Well, like, so like in the first one, there's five people. They usually have, there'll be, anytime you see Michael Myers as a person, like you see like a glimpse of him without his mask, which sometimes they do a little bit in some of the films. It'll be one actor that they want because he looks a certain way. But then a different guy that plays him throughout the rest of the movie, that's mostly a stuntman. And then for certain films, they'll have multiple ones they'll have because Like Tommy Lee Wallace played him for a couple of scenes in the first one because Tommy Lee Wallace built props and they needed somebody that knew how to hit something just right. So it broke right. And so he was Uh Michael Myers for that scene. (laughs) So there's kind of a hodgepodge. And if you go to the conventions, there's like singular people that are known. That's Michael Myers from this movie. That's Michael Myers from that movie. But truth be told, unlike other franchises that tend to have a singular person playing the, the the man behind the mask most of these movies have many different people wearing the mask that's interesting and that says a lot about the the development of the character like around the mask too that it is really easy to think of michael myers as one person one entity yeah and probably one of the reasons why they never have him talk and yeah. And people like to say, well, Jason never runs, which is wrong. He does run when he was a living person, not when he's a zombie. But Michael Myers never runs. He never runs. He never talks. He just, his his gait changes a little. <laughs> he just kind of shows up. Yeah. He nods a little harder. Mm-hmm. He's chill. Yeah. <laughs> he breathes a little deeper. I don't know. Uh, the, the, the new one, though, is like uh, remarkably faithful to the original. They like even, I swear to God, use some of the similar like breathing sounds. So that's yeah. the reason why mm-hmm. I think it they work better as a pair to introduce you to the franchise or to just enjoy the franchise if you just want a quick refresher. 
I just had this really weird idea in my head of like looking in the films to see if he bends over differently between different <laughs> like does one Michael Myers like bend at the knees and another one like bends over and picks because he does a lot of like carrying people around well, there was dragging there, people. There was, there was some issues with I forget which Halloween now, but there was some issues with one of the Halloweens. I think it was H two O. Lemmy Lee Curtis had like said something, or one of the producers had said something about like the gate was a little too fast for one of the Michaels in a, in an interview, and like that Michael Myers was really offended. That actor was really <laughs> pissed off. But, like, <laughs> how dare yeah, they? Like, you should have told me I was walking too fast, guys. And that was kind of his attitude. Like, nobody gave me directions. They just said, wow. Um, <laughs> which is funny because like what, I, what little I know of the direction given to the actors that play Michael Myers was to like actors like Nick Castle in the first one where he's like, give me some, give me my motivation. Give me my, give me my direction. What, what, what am I thinking? And John Carpenter would be like, you're not. You're walking from that point to that point. That's all you're doing. Don't do anything else. He definitely doesn't swing his arms. So you have to like walk with your arms kind of stiff. Yeah, I think that's... He doesn't do a lot of like movement of his arms or his shoulders when he walks, you know? And that's the kind of the defining characteristic of him. And that's why he's called and billed in the credits for most of the films is The Shape. That he, <laughs> The Shape. That's, what it, that's the name of him as a villain is The Shape. And he, in, in most of the credits, it doesn't say Michael Myers unless they're talking about, you know, young Michael Myers or Unmasked. Myers hmm. it's the shape because he's just devoid of personality the way that he walks and the way that he moves the way that he does everything the way that he looks the masks always overalls every film the running joke is that he has to find somebody new to steal different overalls from and kill them <laughs> and that's in the new one like the new one he's got well i'm in this hospital clothes i can't fucking wear these things i need some fucking overalls and it's the mystery they never explain why michael myers loves fucking overalls that's the only thing we know about him that he likes is that he likes to kill. it's such a goofy thing for a serial killer to wear overalls his personality is he likes he likes to kill <laughs> this is what would be on his dating his dating yeah. profile <laughs> he likes to kill he prefers strangling and stabbing you know but he'll he'll work with whatever is around but he doesn't like he's not very creative and he likes overalls he needs overalls he always is wearing overalls he likes pinning people to the wall yeah. but he's not a knife thrower mm -hmm. per se yeah he pins people because i in part four he pins something that's true uh, he pins somebody against the wall with a shotgun. He like shows a shotgun through a woman and it like, like um, impales her into the wall. The sheriff's daughter, in fact. That's a weird way to use a shotgun. Yeah. But he doesn't really like throw things either. No. He's not like a knife thrower, you know, like everything's like very close. He's a melee. He's a melee killer. Yeah. <laughs> very close up and personal. He likes to see your eyes. Yeah, well, he he didn't have to practice knife throwing much, so I think he just doesn't want to be embarrassed. And like, <laughs> and like, fuck, I'm Michael Myers. What the fuck? I mean, <laughs> so he just gets up close. And I mean, being so slow and lumbering has, you know, been the downside a few times. He's like doesn't turn around very quickly. No. So I think when people get the better of him, it's usually when they're coming up behind him too fast and he's turning so slow. <laughs> Whenever, if you ever get attacked by Michael Myers, make sure you run up behind him. Just be really mm -hmm. quick because he's really slow. Well, and he's wearing that mask, <laughs> right? So his field of vision, his peripheral has got to be shit. So like, you can just yeah. like run around and tap him mm -hmm. going, I got you, I'm over here. 
Just don't just don't let him get his hands on your neck because no. he loves choking people. Yeah. Or it's one of his favorite pastimes. Yeah, or be be close <laughs> to a wall that he can stick you to with something. Oh, <laughs> a funny thing. So if you've seen the original, the guy that gets impaled against the wall, Bob. Poor Bob. Bob is the boyfriend of Linda. And the, the famous iconic scene where, where Michael shows up. Did we just go into Bob's Burgers here? Like <laughs> Bob and Linda. Oh, Bob. He, so it's the scene where Michael has the sheet over him. Very iconic scene. And, and before mm-hmm. he's wearing Bob's glasses, so she thinks that it's Bob. But before this, Bob is impaled on the wall. Well, Bob, I forget who plays Bob, so it's not important. But he was originally going to be played by Dennis Quaid. So Dennis oh. Quaid's, one of his first movies was almost, almost... Halloween. He was dating the girl that played Linda at the time, but then he was busy, so he couldn't do it. it do you know who Dana Carvey is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dana Carvey's first film is Halloween too. You know? hmm. That's funny. Blink if you you'll, you'll miss him, but he's in Halloween too. The other thing we're reminded of in the new Halloween is that Michael has a penchant for organizing his victims. What? Uh, he, like he likes to stuff them in closets. Like, oh, like, you got it. He's tidy. Like on shelves and in closets and like arrange them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has to put them away when he he's done. Put yeah. people in closets. He does. He puts them away when he's done. Yeah. Could, <laughs> Cleans up after himself. You could probably, if he was chasing you and you ran into an Ikea, he would fucking get distracted <laughs> with the efficient organization in there that I think you could lose for a couple of minutes. He'd be like, which closet do I put her in? Which one do I put her in? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, this is going off the rails. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's all I, that's all I got. Michael Myers okay. and Ikea. So I think you guys have any other Halloween comments or questions before we wrap this? Nope. No? No, I don't think so. You'll think of Michael Myers next time you go to Ikea. Yep, always. <laughs> so before we finish up, I just wanted to give a really quick shout out to some friends of mine in Philadelphia, Tony Trove and Johnny Zito of South Fellini. They are releasing their latest horror flick this month. It's called American Exorcist. And you can get it on Amazon, iTunes, most places where you can get video on demand. It stars Bill Mosley, also known as Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre True, who did a really cool intro for us for our two-year anniversary episode. If you guys remember a few episodes back, Ryan met him at a horror con, and he was a super cool guy and recorded a little a little intro for us there. He's awesome. He's a super nice guy. Yeah. Was he in Devil's Rejects? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Otis. He, he's, he, he's in all of them. He'll be in the third one as well. It was just a funny coincidence that Tony reached out to me to tell me about American Exorcist. And when I looked it up, I found out that Bill Mosley stars in it. So you guys should check that out. We'll probably get Tony and Johnny on the show at some point to talk to us about because they've done a couple of cool like little indie horror films. I met them actually through comics because they did a few comics together too. Hmm. So maybe we'll get them on at some point just to chat with us. We didn't have time to squeeze them in before the release of the film, which I believe is the 26th of this month. But you guys should check it out. And I think that is going to do it for our Halloween episode this year. I think that's going to do it for our Halloween this year, right? Because by the time this comes out, Halloween will at least be super soon happening. Yeah. 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 Very soon. Yeah. But, you know. We're going to extend Halloween into 2019 and beyond because it's Halloween every day <laughs> it's for us. Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Every day. And right after Halloween is one of the best things of the year, which is when all the Halloween shit goes on sale really cheap. Mm-hmm. Oh, when yeah. I go to Target and stock up on all the yes. Halloween socks. We'll all be out there <laughs> filling baskets with clearance <laughs> Halloween stuff. Yeah. Yes. I can't wait. <laughs> My favorite thing on Halloween each year is to go back and find the stuff that I bought last year on clearance. That I oh, forgot nice. about. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I forgot about this on, on sale. Nice. <laughs> I hope everyone has gotten as much terror and trouble as you could squeeze into October and that you enjoyed all of the horror that we tried to collect for you this season. I hope everybody has a safe and super fun Halloween. Mm-hmm. I know that in our house, I think we've got no less than like three different Halloween events that we're going to be doing to get the most out of our costumes this year. and then I can steal all the candy from my kid please don't forget to rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to because it really helps our show get seen by other people also we really do love to chat with all of our listeners so if you have any comments thoughts or ideas for us definitely reach out to us Uh, you can get us on twitter instagram tumblr facebook or via sirens at sirensofscream.com Jackie where can people find you online I am Jackie the Robot on Twitter and Instagram, and we're not going to talk to you guys again before voting day, so go out and vote. Vote, yeah, vote, vote. please vote. Vote, 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 vote. It would be scary if you didn't vote. <laughs> in the bad way. Scary in the bad way. <laughs> That's not the kind of scary we want any more of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sierra, where can people find you online? At Sierra Hauk, H-O-U-K, at Instagram and Twitter. And Ryan, would you like people to find you online? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes. Um, they can contact me. At, I'm at Ryan Megan, M-E-G-A-N, or, you know, Mega Nerd stuff and whatever. Or just contact Melissa. She's more interested in me. <laughs> Ryan, thanks for teaching us about Halloween. Thank you for having me. I feel like this is a good time, too. I didn't have this in my notes, but I just want to mention to you guys, I'm really proud of my husband because he was interviewed by the Chicago Tribune, right? Yeah. Ooh. Was it Chicago Tribune about an article that he published on Mega Nerd back in 2016, I believe, um, when we first started the site that addresses the idea of rape culture in films and kind of going back and looking at some of the uh, coming-of-age films that we grew up with and examining the predominant rape culture or less obvious rape culture in those films. It was a really, really great article that, I don't know, this woman from the Chicago Tribune pulled up somehow, came across it, and uh, decided to write a piece about it. If anybody didn't get to read that and you don't know where to find it, then get in touch and we'll send it out to you. But I just wanted to I just wanted to give give a little nod to my hubby who's out there Very doing cool. the work in the feminist bent for us. Thanks. <laughs> and you can find me at Lissa Punch on Instagram, Twitter, and you can also find me on the Talking Comics podcast when I'm not here making spooky stuff. And that's it. Happy Yay, Halloween. I'm, I'm going to go finish Haunting on Hill House now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I said you on fire with gas and a lighter. You scream when I say 
Fire with gas and a lighter. 